hate crime investigation. This should not happen to any community or any worship place whatsoever. The reaction after Muslim worshipers were assaulted. Autism funding overhaul. Why parents and kids are marching in protest. And big trouble in Bali. The naked dance that got a Vancouver actor kicked out of the country. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Community leaders are condemning a disturbing incident outside a Surrey mosque that seemed to be a deliberate act of intimidation. Surrey RCMP are investigating it as a possible hate crime. And as John Waugh reports, it happened as members of the Muslim community marked Ramadan. It is a time focused on self-reflection and coming together to build a better community. They come to worship and a very peaceful people. But now the end of Ramadan for members of the Jamia Masjid in Surrey has instead been shrouded in concern. This should not happen to any community or any worship place whatsoever. This after Surrey RCMP see a vehicle approach worshippers leaving the mosque on 124th Street just before 11 o'clock Wednesday evening. First, there were reports that water had been thrown at the pedestrians, then calls of something much more dangerous. The suspect vehicle uh, leaving the roadway and uh, almost uh, hitting a pedestrian. Police say they have identified a possible suspect driver and vehicle and have not ruled this out as a hate crime. The investigation is still in the early stages. It is, of course, gravely concerning, uh, especially in the aftermath of what happened in London, uh, where an individual took his car and ran down a family. The thought of a vehicle lunging towards members of the Muslim community, triggering flashbacks of a fatal truck attack in London, Ontario last year. That left four members of the Avzal family dead and the rest of the country completely shaken. We have to investigate, we have to see what, like, you know, what really happened. Everybody should understand that everybody should respect everyone. The Surrey RCMP say they're increasing patrols around mosques. Members of this Jamia Masjid pledge to remain vigilant. It is concerning, but let's hope that it will not happen again. As the end of Ramadan approaches, it is still a time of self-reflection and restraint. And despite the added worry of what happened right outside their place of worship, the message being spread by this community is for everyone to remain calm. John Hua, Global News. The driver of an SUV involved in an alleged hit and run in Abbotsford this week has contacted police. Dale Lillick was seriously injured and is still in hospital after being hit Tuesday night around midnight in the area of Hillcrest and Clearbrook Road. On Thursday, police released video of a suspect vehicle and then today, a 24-year-old man contacted Abbotsford police identifying himself as the driver. The vehicle has also been located. The investigation continues, and so far there are no charges. An apartment building in downtown Victoria was evacuated today after fire broke out in a suite. Fire crews were called to View Towers, located at Quadra and View Streets at about 11.30 this morning. A fire had broken out in a 10th floor unit. Crews pushed the limits of their ladder truck in order to rescue a man from the balcony of the unit. He was rushed to hospital in critical condition, suffering from burns and smoke inhalation. The cause of the fire is still under investigation, but it has been deemed accidental. 
An inquiry inquest has been ordered into the death of Trayvon Desjardins. The 17-year-old indigenous youth was reported missing from an Abbotsford group home back in September 2020. He was found deceased four days later in the closet of his bedroom. Police at the time said no criminality was involved. The coroner's service says the inquest has been ordered because there is reason to believe the public has an interest in being informed about the circumstances surrounding the death. The inquest will begin November 28th. And Victoria police say protests cost taxpayers a small fortune in overtime. Since January, the capital experienced weekend after weekend of rolling protests, leading Victoria police to set up a cordon around the city center to restrict access around the legislature. Turns out staffing those barricades cost a lot in overtime. Victoria police say they spent just shy of $386,000 for officer overtime between January and April. That's over and above the officers' wages who were already on duty. Police say the province is picking up the tab. COVID-19 case numbers and hospitalizations are on the rise in B.C., according to the latest weekly situation report from the province. For a closer look on what the data means, let's bring in our Keith Baldry in Victoria. What are those numbers telling us, Keith, and what are we hearing from health officials? It's telling us again, reminding us we're not out of the pandemic, folks. This was predicted or projected from the modeling that our hospitalizations would indeed go up as we're gathering more and gr greater crowds. The infection rate continues to rise and we are seeing play, play out in the hospital situation in B.C. So here's the weekly change over the past week. Well, more than 500 people tested positive for COVID-19 in B.C. hospitals in the last week. 47 of those people are in ICU. That's an increase of nine. There's more people on ventilators right now than there were last week. Four 42 people died. That number will change as the classification changes when it comes to deaths. Uh, 2,276 new cases detected. That's up a bit from the previous week. And that, again, is tied to a rising positivity rate, 11% province-wide, more than 21% in the interior and the island. Health Minister Adrian Dick says, again, these numbers indicate COVID-19 is still out there. The numbers are up on hospitalizations. They're up on cases. Um, the indicators such as wastewater are also up, and I think that reflects overall uh, um, the increase in the BA2 variant that we're seeing uh, in the population in general. So again, a reminder, the key, number, the key statistic to keep an eye on, folks, is the ICU number. That is up uh, significantly from last week, which is a bit troubling, but it's nowhere near as high as it was just a few weeks ago. So as the case numbers continue to go up and the hospitalizations are likely to continue to increase, hopefully the ICU numbers don't go up because those are the people who are most sick of, of all of us when it comes to getting COVID-19. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. No let up in the pressure from parents of B.C. children and youth with autism. They all rallied outside the Vancouver constituency office of the attorney general today, demanding David Eby and the provincial government reverse the plan to change the way support funding is delivered. Catherine Urquhart reports. Outside Attorney General David Eby's office, parents and kids gathered for the latest protest against changes to BC's autism funding and service provider model. Among those speaking out, self-advocate, 12-year-old Holly Kennedy. 
I can't imagine who I would be without all this funding. And now the NDP wants to take this away, it's ridiculous. In October, the province announced it will phase out direct funding to families of children on the autism spectrum by 2025 and replace it with the new centralized hub model. In a hub system, you'll just get assigned you know, the therapists that are available, whoever has time on their docket. Which is exactly what the Doug Ford Conservative government did three years ago in Ontario. It has been a disaster. They've replaced wait lists for diagnoses with wait lists three times as long uh, for services. The protest prompted this response from BC's Minister of Children and Family Development. What we want to make sure is that the transition is successful because all children and youth who have support needs uh, need to continue to have those services and to have their unique needs matched up with services that will be delivered in their community. Those in the autism community say they'll continue fighting the changes. We want the NDP to know we're not going away. These are our kids. Uh, we're not backing down. Next steps, they say, could include legal action. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And people against old-growth logging in B.C. took their protest to a Vancouver hotel this morning. No, don't pull. No, let, let, let us do the work. We want to save your skin, okay? Some of the protesters glued their hands to the doors and windows of the JW Marriott Park Hotel. Inside that hotel, Premier John Horgan was getting set to deliver an address to the B.C. Council of Forest Industries Convention. The group is trying to pressure Horgan to cease old-growth logging immediately. Vancouver International Airport says staffing delays at security mean passengers should get to the terminal hours before their flights. Check-in and security lines stretched right through the terminals this week in scenes worse than the busiest days before the pandemic. The airport is blaming staff shortages, specifically with the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority the federal agency that screens passengers before boarding. As a result, the airport is advising you to arrive two hours before a domestic flight and three hours before a U.S. or international flight. Well, a sure sign that summer is just around the corner. The Richmond Night Market is up and running for its 2022 season tonight. And it's the first full-scale market since before the pandemic. Imad Gahi is at the market for opening night. Imad, what can people expect? Well, Sophie, the night market, people that are putting this event on, quite excited to uh, welcome in uh, between eight to 10,000 people on the opening night here. Uh, and to explain a little bit more about what people can expect, we've got the lead organizer here, Raymond Chung, to uh, give us some insight. Now, you've got a lot of new things happening this year. Tell me about that. Well, this year is uh, actually a full scale after last year. Um, this year we have uh, about 120 food booths, over about 170 retail. Uh, this year our theme is called the uh, Summer Magic Rainbow. What it is is that this year we actually custom made about over 100 of those Leon nights. So visitors are coming in, they're going to experience that old Shanghai, old night market experience with the Leon night. It's all about colors this year, it's about having fun, catching back that moment that we missed the last two years. Yeah, and I spoke to some of the vendors here who are also really excited to be back in full scale after a couple of years of scaled down operation. What does it mean to really open up? I think it's about catching up the time where I think the visitor is going to be very enjoying that moment where, you know, there's 
that the moment that together having fun, I think this year night market our game areas is full scale as well, so everything is open up. So I think everybody's going to spend a lot of good time here today. Well, best of luck this season. That's Raymond Chung, the organizer of Richmond Night Market. He also wants people to know that it's going to be a little bit busy uh, opening night and opening weekend. So arrive early if you can. Expect the delays and maybe buy what's called a Zoom pass. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks for that, Ahmad. Have a good dinner there tonight. All right. He considers himself a mind and body healer. But a Vancouver man is getting some time for a little self-reflection after posting a video that got him in big trouble in Bali. Why he's being deported. Next. Fleet Week arrives with a show of force in Burrard Inlet. How you can get on board later. And the rise of electric vehicles. The Vancouver Conversion Company keeping vintage metal on the road. And a whole lot more coming up. Right now, though, an all-party policing report released this week makes it clear it's time to deal differently with mental health issues. The committee says it's time for provincial standards and policies about wellness checks and those experiencing mental health crises. And those who work in the field say there's a lot they can do to help. Ramina Dea reports. A wellness check on Mona Wang two years ago ended like this. The UBC nursing student dragged down the hallway, her head stepped on, the Kelowna RCMP officer charged with assault. Police officers are ill-equipped to deal with mental health. Mental health experts say an overhaul of the system is needed to deal with people in crisis before they end up in jail or hospital. 95% of our calls were able to safely de-escalate. The Crisis Centre of BC believes it's time to integrate mental health with 911, a key recommendation in the police reform report. The only thing that we have to go with at three in the morning is police. And police don't have a lot of things that they can do once they get there. They, They really have to make a choice between leaving somebody where they are or taking them to the hospital. And if that person doesn't need to go to hospital, well, it's just kind of a a revolving door. How many members are on scene? There's four members there. Police highly supportive of more mental health resources. In Vancouver, for example, roughly 650 calls a day, 84% of mental health calls involving violence or crime. Investment crucial for more civilian-led crisis care teams, like the new one in North Vancouver, says the Canadian Mental Health Association. Over 250 calls to date um, responding to crisis situations in those communities, and they haven't had to rely upon police, which has meant that resources are freed up for police to attend to other things. The government will review the report's recommendations and meet with stakeholders later this year. We just have to keep making sure that these recommendations don't sit on a shelf. Romina Dea, Global News. A Vancouver actor and self-proclaimed wellness guru is learning the hard way that when traveling, you need to do your homework about the local culture. Thirty-three-year-old Jeff Cragen posted this video of himself in Indonesia, dancing naked on top of Mount Batur in Bali. He was doing a ceremonial dance from New Zealand's Maori culture. The problem is that volcano is considered to be a sacred, holy site for many Balinese. The post generated widespread outrage, and as a result, Cragen is being deported despite posting a long, tearful apology. 
So I'm sorry. Whether you believe me or not, I'm sorry. Because I didn't know. I didn't know. And this isn't a plea to stay in the country. It's just a heartfelt apology. Craigan hasn't been deported quite yet because he's not vaccinated against COVID-19 and airlines are reluctant to take him. Indonesian officials say he will also be forbidden to enter the country in the future. Well, the provincial government says it's reviewing its labor legislation regarding gig economies and its workers here in B.C. And that follows a controversial development on, in Ontario, where a restaurant chain has turned to virtual cashiers to supplement its labor force. Richard Zussman reports. How can I help you? Say hello to Percy, the new virtual cashier greeting customers and taking orders at Freshie restaurants in Ontario. In BC, the welcome not accompanied by a smile. Workplaces are changing and we as a government must be up to the challenges that that poses, especially to the workers, their health and safety and their rights. Percy is in reality a worker based in Nicaragua, taking orders from home while taking work from Canadians, getting paid $3.75 per hour, far below any minimum wage here. Freshie says this allows them to move its employees to, quote, higher value work. The B.C. government now reviewing this technology and the entire technology-based economy. We also know the economy is changing. The new technology that is being adopted by employers bring its own challenges. There are multiple Freshies locations in British Columbia, but so far, no Percy's. The B.C. government is keeping a close eye on this issue, as well as the gig economy as a whole, promising action to protect workers here in this province. To make sure that the workers that are providing service and providing work here in British Columbia are protected and that they have the minimum standards and protections that all workers enjoy. Virtual cashier is just the latest in a shift in the way retail is done. International call centers have long been common practice. Adding to this are more self-checkouts. Use the Amazon Go app to enter. And in the U.S., Amazon has been testing technology where there are no cashiers at all. You're exploiting workers in, in another country um, who have a lesser working standard, who have a much smaller minimum wage. There is nothing illegal about outsourcing work, and it does address a growing labor shortage. I try to make it as easy for you as possible. But what the Percy's of the world also do is take a job away from those who may be looking. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, a tragic mystery at Royal Military College. Four cadets killed in a late-night crash. How did the vehicle end up in the water? But first, Russian missiles rain down on Kyiv. Big delays for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 before Kensington. Crews are on scene to a crash just west of it at the Douglas overpass. It's in the HOV lane. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside real Canadian superstores and Walmarts throughout B.C. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trisha Wisson in the Global Traffic Centre. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. 
Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Russia continues to attack not only eastern and southern locations of Ukraine, but the capital as well. Ukraine's president says Russia launched five missiles targeting the capital on Thursday. Three of them were shot down by a missile defense system. People in the capital, many of whom just returned home, are now questioning if they came back too soon. Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gamansing reports from Ukraine. Twisted heaps of metal, slabs of fallen concrete, and workers scrambling to clear away pieces of several buildings. The destruction caused by missiles Thursday night, a reminder that Russia is not finished with Kyiv. My daughter and I were at the kitchen, and there was an explosion at the time. I first saw a flash and then heard the sound. Pavlov Kozetsky just with his family a few days ago, thinking it was safe. His youngest child thought the thud of the missile striking a building near his was thunder. His older children understand Ukraine has been dragged into a war. We are very angry our country is under attack from Russia, and I agree to fight against this country for sake of my daughters. Russia claims it used five precision missiles and destroyed a weapons factory workshop. At least eight buildings in the Shevchenkivsky district in the capital sustained damages in the strikes. One woman, a journalist, was killed in her home. Ten people were injured and four taken to hospital. As the largest land war in Europe since the Second World War stretches on and more lives are lost, the level of anger rises. I will collect Molotov cocktails, just in case. And we will remove those bandits from our country. And we will remember everyone. The strikes happened when the U.N. Secretary General was in the city meeting with the president. The mayor of Kyiv toured the site and said it was Vladimir Putin showing them his middle finger. City officials are encouraging people here to be careful and if they hear an air raid siren, to seek shelter. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, Kyiv, Ukraine. A car crash at Royal Military College in Ontario has claimed the lives of four fourth-year cadets. It happened on campus this morning around 2 a.m. A vehicle carrying students crashed into Lake Ontario, landing upside down. All four occupants died. It's unclear what led up to the crash. The tragedy comes just as exams are wrapping up and right before the college's annual graduation ceremony. You know, military service is something that tends to get, um, you know, backed off this time of year. Um, you know, there's not as many drills, you know, they still have to do uh, physical training, things like that. But, you know, it's definitely a tough time of year for any, any student, you know, and uh, anyone who's gone to school can, can attest to that. An investigation into the crash is now underway. Quite a sight in North Vancouver this weekend, courtesy of the Canadian Navy. No fewer than seven ships have sailed to the North Shore with hundreds of sailors, the largest gathering of military vessels in years. It's quite a sight. They are here to show off the Canadian Navy and its job opportunities. And as Paul Johnson tells us, world events have lent a bit more gravity to the visit than usual. Setting up the sights on a 50 caliber machine gun. The crew of the HMCS Vancouver are getting ready to show off their weapons in Vancouver for the first time in years. 
I'm a weapons engineering technician. Sailor First Class Marianne Mojica helped to show us around the ship. With three years in so far and plans for a long career in the military, people like her are the future of Canada's Navy. I do want to become a sonar weapons engineering tech and I do really enjoy learning about the torpedoes. If you happen to be within sight of Burrard Inlet Friday, you may have caught a glimpse of the ships, seven in total, the smaller training and coastal defense ships and the two Halifax-class frigates. Canada has 12 of them and they're the most powerful ships in our fleet. I'm really optimistic, you know, we have the right amount of uh, punch that we need now. Scott Robinson is the deputy commander of the Pacific Fleet and says his frigates can hold their own on the high seas. They can find and hunt submarines if required. They have a harpoon missile system that's uh, capable of attacking land targets and uh, other ships. Uh, as well, they have an anti-air capabilities. When Russia upended the world order with its invasion of Ukraine, countries like Canada found themselves doing a hard inventory of their capabilities. There's also China's recent naval buildup and its intentions over Taiwan. One of the frigates here, the Winnipeg, recently sailed through the Taiwan Strait in a display of Canadian strength, which may not be overwhelming, but is not to be dismissed either. In North Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, the evolution of home ownership. Buying a home with somebody else or, or a partnership. Who's most likely to consider creative solutions to buy in and who's giving up altogether? And the mysterious liver disease popping up in children and what BC's top doctor says about it. The evening, after clearing a stall eastbound just past the east end of the Portman Bridge, traffic has finally eased off in both directions on Highway 1. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, home prices have skyrocketed during the pandemic and new Ipsos polling for Global News shows the dream of home ownership is being dashed for those who aren't already in the market. As Ann Gaviola shows us, feelings about being priced out vary with some giving up altogether. There are signs that the housing market that was on an absolute tear during the pandemic is taking a breather. But the damage is done for many who'd hope to get in eventually. Polling by Ipsos, exclusively for Global News, shows more than 60% of respondents hoping to get into the market are now giving up. And it's going to continue to percolate as housing prices rise, inflation continues, and interest rates go up. People in B.C. and Ontario, home to the least affordable housing markets, are most likely to give up on home ownership. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and the Atlantic provinces are places where home ownership dreams haven't been dashed for the majority. There's a generational divide, too. Respondents under 35 say owning a home is less important now than it was a quarter century ago, a sentiment not shared as widely by older generations. And opinions differ when it comes to outside-the-box solutions. Younger Canadians are most likely to be open to co-ownership with friends or family. Three out of every four Gen Z respondents and nearly 60% of millennials say they're game to purchase with others. A lot of people are, are looking at the home ownership question in a new way, as you said, considering um, other alternatives like buying a home with somebody else or, or a partnership 
or even just putting their money somewhere else. The federal budget pledged $10 billion for affordable housing over the next five years. Much of that is for boosting supply. And there's also a tax rebate for first-time homebuyers to a maximum of $40,000, which doesn't go far in markets like Toronto and Vancouver. 75% of respondents say these measures won't make enough of a difference, and economists agree. Even if, for example, if, if prices were to correct starting tomorrow, there would need to be a major correction, a major decline in prices to really offset the impact of higher interest rate on monthly mortgage payments, for example, uh, for those coming in. And two-thirds say home ownership is reserved for the rich. And Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, BC's top doctor is confirming all 17 pediatric hospitals across the country are on alert for an unusual liver disease popping up in children. So far, around 190 children worldwide have developed the sudden condition. At least one child has died and several others have needed liver transplants. So far, the disease has affected children ranging in age from one month to 16 years old. It's unclear how many children in Canada have been affected, but Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry says the number of possible cases in this country at this point is still in the single digits. None of the potential cases are in B.C., and authorities are trying to figure out what is behind this. An update now on the avian flu in this province. The Ministry of Agriculture is confirming a small poultry flock in the central Kootenai has tested positive for the virus. The infected birds have been placed under quarantine and nearby producers have been notified. Within the last several weeks, two other flocks in the Okanagan tested positive for the bird flu. Breeders across the province are being asked to take precautions, including reducing opportunities for poultry to encounter wild birds and reducing human access to the flock. Producers are worried this could spread even further. It could be a matter of 10, 15, 20 years, might be a lifetime that these breeders have been working on a particular breed. Avian flu will take that whole thing away just uh, in seconds. So it it's, can be very devastating. Seven wild birds that died between April 20th and 27th have also tested positive for avian influenza. Coming up, cleaner classics. My kids were the ones who really did. Like, Dad, what are you doing for the environment? The inspiration for his business and how converting sports cars to EVs is just the start. And it didn't want to fly, so airplanes couldn't either. The Pelican that held up air traffic. Next. Well, just when they thought they'd seen everything, the crew of an Alaska Airlines flight heading from San Diego to Everett, Washington, had to contend with this. It's 21... 79, sir, you're not going to believe this, but we are unable because of a pelican sitting here in the taxiway, and he's not moving. Roger. You got somebody who can come down and move him out of the way? He might be injured from the last wake turbulence or something. As you see, a member of the airport's operations team drove out onto the taxiway and slowly encouraged the pelican to move on, which it did. It's like the Canada geese holdups around Vancouver, especially at this time right. of the year, right? We saw the little goslings uh, in Christie's weather window last night, and I'm sure we'll see them out on the streets out for a family walk, Christy. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm more than uh, keen to sort of give them their space, especially with those gorgeous little goslings. Uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about how April has been below seasonal for this time of year right across the province. Finally, this weekend, we're going to climb back to near seasonal values. It's not going to feel necessarily warm in my opinion but at least back to near seasonal values however if you're in the northeastern corner of the province fort st john in particular you're probably not feeling that here's a look at the snowfall they've seen finally the snowfall warning has ended for that region but we're talking about 10 to 20 centimeters of snow depending on the location i look at that little playground in the backyard there and i'm sure the kids are looking forward to getting back out into that uh, with some sunshine of course thank you to everyone who shares photos with us so as we're enjoying sunshine today, we've got a system that's driving onto the south coast. So the first part of our weekend is certainly looking wet. It is pushing across Vancouver Island right now, and we'll start to see that in the lower mainland in not too long. The good news is the bulk of that rainfall will happen overnight. Now, we are still expecting rainfall tomorrow morning, but it shifts out throughout the morning hours, and we should be enjoying breaks of blue sky by the afternoon. Now, we still do have a chance of showers tomorrow afternoon, but much more spottier and we certainly will see some sunshine in the mix. Now, those of you in the interior, from the central interior right down through the south, still cloud and showers in the forecast for your Saturday, but it's not a soaker, that's for sure. And then Sunday, you can expect sunshine, whereas the south coast, we will be dry on Sunday, but we are expecting cloud cover. Those of you across the north coast, enjoy your sun tomorrow because periods of rain are on the way for you on Sunday. There's the cloud and showers that we were talking about for the southern regions and for the south coast. Rainfall overnight tomorrow morning as well but it eases fairly quickly to just a chance of showers and you can expect some sunshine by the afternoon hours before the cloud returns on Sunday but that's the key here back to 15 degrees which is nice as you can see that is our average for this time of year. Tonight's central windows weather window showing the beautiful spring tulips there looking out over the blue sky. This was taken yesterday. Thank you to Rob for that one. So springy. Thank mm -hmm. you Christy. Thanks Christy. Well, the BC SPCA has had an unusual animal drop-off. A dozen, yes, 12 Himalayan cats were brought to the Sea to Sky location. The cats were all 16 years old. Staff say they were emaciated with skin infections, fleas and mites, and most of them have dental issues. They will all need a senior blood panel to determine their overall health and if they can be safely sedated for dental surgery. The cats were described as grumpy when they first arrived, but staff say after being fed and having medical issues tended to, they are actually very sweet. So if you can help out these senior cats, please get in touch with the SPCA. Well, I think it's probably pretty normal to be grumpy if you have skin infections and fleas. <laughs> or if you're hangry. And you're, when you're not hangry. yourself. Slightly exactly. senior. That's right. Yeah. All right, Barry's in for Squire. Good to see you, Barry. What's up? Yeah, thanks, guys. Squire said no tie required Friday, so. That's sure. right. Just following directions. Thanks, guys. Uh, Canucks are on the ice right now in Edmonton, playing their 82nd and final game of the season. Really the only thing worth cheering for, will JT Miller get to 100 points on the season? I guess I'm proud of myself for, you know, you know, I put myself in a good position here and just want to play a good game. And like I said, if I play a good game, hopefully the chances are there. Miller started the night at 98 points. We'll check in to see if he's got on the board early in Edmonton. And back to the future for a local company turning vintage cars into electric vehicles.
All breaking right. news. Mm, what's JT, the breaking news? JT Miller. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're just teasing. Remember, I got a tease. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A gentle, gentle thing. But stick around if you like JT Miller. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Chris. The, uh, and Sophie. The Canucks are playing their final game of the season tonight in Edmonton. And they don't have to deal with McDavid or Dreisaitl, both healthy scratches to rest up for the playoffs, which begin next week for the Oilers against the LA Kings. Canucks, of course, not going to the playoffs, just fell short. But JT Miller could hit the 100-point mark if he can pick up two points tonight, which would keep him in the top 10 of NHL scoring this season. It's pretty, pretty surreal no matter what happens. You know, I'm, I'm not really, uh, it's not going to break my heart if it doesn't happen. Um, It'd be pretty cool. You know, obviously not going to get many chances at this. So uh, I'm going to try to just play a good game. Like I said, give myself opportunities, and it's just a matter of bearing down on my opportunities. But, I, uh, um, you know, it's exciting. It, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I guess I'm proud of myself. You know, you know, I put myself in a good position here and just want to play a good game. And like I said, if I play a good game, hopefully the chances are there. Well, let's find out how JT is doing in pursuit of 100. The Oilers are 13-0-1 in their last 14 home games. But of course, McDavid and Dreisaitl were playing them. Good chance early. Miller with the shot, Besser with the deflection. Had that gone in, that would have been a point for JT, but it's stopped by Miko Koskinen. But before the end of the period, JT Miller's going to get on the board as uh, everyone contemplates that great save by Koskinen. Check out the play here. Nice little feed from Brad Hunt and JT Miller. High glove. That is point number 99. Now, 99 is a great number in Edmonton, but Miller does not want to be stuck on 99 this year. one nothing Vancouver. That should be. Flames and Jets. Calgary will play either Nashville or Dallas in the first round. Won't know until about four hours from now. Daryl Sutter not resting his stars. Matthew Kachuk, that's his 42nd. Line mates uh, Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm also 40-goal scorers this year. one nothing Flames, but Winnipeg ties it very late in the period. It's their captain, Blake Wheeler, beating Dan Vladar. Jacob Markstrom, the only Flame regular, getting the night off tonight. Second period, Jets take the lead. Josh Morrissey with the shot. Mason Appleton on the rebound, so it's 2-1 Jets now. And they lead the Flames in the second period in Winnipeg. Vancouver Giants play game four of their series against Everett tonight, 7.30 at the Langley Event Center. Giants trail the best of seven, 2-1. The Silver Tips are the number one seed in the West, and the Giants definitely have their hands full. Everett has outscored them 17-9 over the first three games. And a couple of other BC teams in action tonight. Kelowna and Seattle, Rockets down three games to one, need to win to stay alive. And Kamloops can advance to the second round with a win over Spokane. Well, BC's best future NBA prospect, Richmond's Fardaz Amak, announced today he is transferring NCAA schools, going from Utah Valley to Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech is considered one of the elite programs in the NCAA. He had options to also go to Gonzaga or Washington, but Amak chose the Red Raiders because he believes that program can get him not only NBA-ready, but to be a lottery pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Now, AMAC is a rebounding machine. He is a seven-footer. He was named the Western Athletic Conference Player of the Year for 2021 at Utah Valley. 19 points average, 13.6 rebounds per game, second most boards per game in NCAA Division I. So he's the real deal. But he's been putting in some hard work on fitness, agility, and skills the past two months. He has not yet decided if he will declare for this year's NBA draft June 23rd. He says he's 50-50 right now. 
but still has a couple of months before he makes that decision. And we will finish. This is what fans come to see every night when they see the Blue Jays. Vladdy Guerrero doing this. Launches one. 446 feet to left center. His first homer in a couple of weeks, a three-run shot. His sixth RBIs 14, 15, and 16. Ties it at four, but the Astros are going to get it right back. They went up 5-4, and then Jeremy Pena cranks a three-run shot to left off Trevor Richards. Pena has been a bit of a Pena in the butt for the Jays. He hit that game-winning homer off Jordan Romano last Sunday in Houston, and the Astros are taking it to the Jays right now, 10-4 in the sixth. But the JT Miller count, 99. It's a great number in hockey, but he'd love to get to 100. We'll see if he can do it. Oh, and yes, day two of the NFL draft. I forgot. I wrote this stuff. (laughs) Memo to me. The Seahawks had two picks in the second round. They took edge rusher Boye Mafé. I hope I pronounced that right. And then followed up with uh, running back Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. Seattle rumored to be interested in trading for quarterback Baker Mayfield to replace the departed Russell Wilson. But so far, that deal has not happened. Now I'll tell you about the Miller stuff. Yeah, he's going for 100. (laughs) And he's close. He's very close. One more to go. All right. Thanks, Barry. Vintage vehicles get a green upgrade. That's next. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. Canadians are making the shift to talk radio done different. So come join the conversation. What do you need to share in the world? What do you need to get off your heart? It's The Shift with Shane Hewitt. Weeknights at 10 on 980 CKNW. Jordan Armstrong's here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Thanks, Chris. We have some breaking news we're following this hour. Firefighters are dealing with a brush fire that's broken out in the interior. A passerby posted these images of the smoke and flames from the fire and says it's located between Monte Creek and Pritchard, just outside of Kamloops. No word yet on the size of this blaze. Plus, the Chinatown community members who say a neighborhood policing center has done little to deter crime. What they say would actually help tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Look forward to that. Thanks, Jordan. A Vancouver company is getting a lot of attention these days for its head-turning vintage car with a thoroughly modern upgrade. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the company says its new electric Porsche is just the beginning. There it is. Out with the old and in with the... Well, take a look. What's in here is an oversized golf cart. I refer to this as a 60-pound turkey. The 60-pound turkey is what powers this 1976 Porsche 912. The battery-powered EV now puts out 50% more power with only 20 moving parts. The conversion, the brainchild of Dean Kneider, the founder of Rise EV. I can go out and buy a Tesla, but is that going to make, like, this has way more appeal that I've done something right. I've kept an old classic car on the road. I'm greener, cleaner, no emissions. And it just makes logical sense. The company, with a shop in East Vancouver, is focusing right now on converting classic sports cars. There's a kit that will fit Porsche models spanning 20 years. But the conversion possibilities are endless. A lady called me with a 76 Volkswagen Bug. But then I had a gentleman come in here with a, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was an old Rolls Royce. I've had guys bring in tractors and RVs. The cost of conversion isn't cheap. It is pretty fast. 
north of $50,000 depending on range and power. But the future of the company will be converting commercial fleets. The price tag of a retrofit school bus? About half what a new electric model would cost. There's so many rules and regulations with Canada that's hindering me from doing the buses where I could go to Seattle, Oregon, and uh, Idaho right now and sell those buses all day long. The 1976 912E was the pace car at last week's Sunrun. Zero emissions and plenty of turned heads. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. If we could do that with my old Jeep. I know, I've, I got rid of the Bronco. Now I regret it. Yeah, you could have brought it back. <laughs> I'm sure there are others out there for sale. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very good point, and I'm not going to say I've been looking. <laughs> All right, let's check in with Christy for a, for a last check of the weather before we go. So the cloud cover is starting to push in now. We are expecting the rainfall overnight. That is good news. The reason is because it'll push out a little sooner through our Saturday. So wet in the morning, still a chance of showers in the afternoon, but we'll see some breaks of blue sky, which is great for everyone. Now, Sunday is also looking mostly dry. However, we are expecting mainly cloudy skies and a very slight chance of a bit of drizzle across the region. And then the more significant rain expected on Monday. So uh, not bad for the weekend with some blue sky expected tomorrow afternoon. Back to you guys. What is the 11.30 a.m. Little League forecast, if I can ask for a friend? <laughs> Rain. Oh, <laughs> darn it. All right, thanks very much, everybody. Enjoy Fleet Week, and uh, welcome to the sailors in town. Have a good weekend. Good night, all.